You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Man, it's good to be back. Um, Pastor Chuck was here last week with us, and man, he's just a blessing to me. Uh, I hope you guys have been praying for him and his wife as they uh, embarked on this new ministry, Connect Hope, and just what it's doing in the in the area. And it's just a blessing that we have people that believe in the mission that God has given us enough to to come alongside of us, amen, to partner with us in what we have going on here. Um, so what we've been doing through this series is we've been looking at this this final week before the cross. And this is leading us to the cross. It's leading us to Easter Sunday where, man, spoiler alert, Jesus does defeat death and he comes back. Amen. And man, and that's what that's what we've been doing. We've been kind of walking through this. We looked at week one at when Jesus actually entered into Jerusalem. And then last week, um, after he had entered, he went into the temple. He saw some things that he didn't like. That's the, the famous Jesus starts turning tables over and people use that to think that their anger is okay when it's really not, right? So they take that out of context. Here's what was happening, and Pastor Chuck explained this, that something that was meant for worship was turned into something completely different. God has given us things in life to, to use to worship Him, to glorify Him. And what we do as a human race is we begin to twist those things and make those things something that benefits us and nothing that glorifies Him. And what we've seen throughout church, throughout the church history, is that even church people, right? Let's just be honest. Even church people take some part of Scripture, they twist it all around to to fit whatever agenda they have. And the truth is that we can't twist the Word of God. The Word of God twists and changes us. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to continue on this path and we're going to see that after Jesus leaves the temple, He heals some guys within the temple, some things happen, He teaches a few things, and then He's about to eat dinner with His disciples. We're going to pick up here where He's, he's having what we call the Last Supper. Now, I don't know if you've ever read some of the last meals of people that are about to be executed, right? And I know this is a little different, right? This isn't a kind of Jesus-y, but... Um, I was reading about just some last meals that these inmates were requesting, and there's some crazy stuff out there. This one dude requested three pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Now, if he wasn't guilty before, that just makes him guilty because that ice cream is nasty. And anybody that wants three pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream, they had to be guilty of whatever they were accused of. But man, these what would you eat, right? Just think, think through that. If you knew, hey, this is my last meal. What am I going to eat? And I'm just going to be honest with you. For me, it's not some steak or lobster or anything like that, right? I'm from South Augusta. We didn't have all that cool stuff over there. I'm just kidding. We did. Man, I would just eat a hamburger. Just a hamburger. I'm a hamburger guy. That's what I want. I want barbecue sauce on it. Maybe an onion ring, but I don't really want the onion in the ring. I just want the breaded part because um, I don't like onions. But, man, I would choose something just simple. And Jesus, man, they, they chose a, a certain meal because it was, it was the time of year for this meal. It was something that was important. And we're going to look at how this really points to Jesus and who he is. But what I want us to do is, you can see we're taking communion together today. 
And a lot of times we, we do this and we talk about what communion is and how it's symbolic, but I think that even here, we failed to go all the way back to, to what this meal really represented and why it started in the first place, right? Why this Passover meal was, was important and what it really meant. So that's what I want us to dig into today, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to we're going to see and we're going to break this down and then we're going to go to the Old Testament and we're going to really look at what it meant to, to really take part of this Passover meal and how it all points to Jesus. Man, if you, ever, if you ever attend Impact Church or any other church and you don't feel like it's all about Jesus, then you're not, you're not in a good place. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you ever attend church and you don't feel like it's all pointed towards Jesus, then something's wrong. Because this... This right here, the Word of God, is all about Him. He is the hero. And I, I've heard the term heroes of the faith, and I, I understand what that means, but I'm going to be honest with you, there are no heroes of the faith. Jesus is the hero. That's it. Man, and we can become more like Him, and we can allow Him to use us and to impact the world, and that's, that's why we're here, that's what we're doing. But man, it doesn't make us heroes. He's still... The one and only hero, and it all points to him. And that's why we're here. That's why we come here every week. That's why we do what we do. And if you ever feel like, man, you're not pointing to Jesus, then I want you to tell me that, man, I don't feel like we're pointing to Jesus because that's how important it is. Because that's what this whole life is about. So Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 12. It says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Let's pray. God, I pray that you speak this morning through your spirit. God, change hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have, just to, to kind of give you a glimpse of what's happening, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, where should we prepare the Passover meal for you? Jesus says, go into town. You're going to see this dude carrying a jug of water. Follow him into his house, right? So I wouldn't recommend that we take this literally for us today and follow someone into their house. It doesn't end well, right? This is a stand your ground state. I would not do that. But Jesus says, hey, follow this dude into the house. And when you get there, ask the master of the house, hey, the teachers want to know where the guest room is, where we can have this Passover meal. He's going to show you this room, the upper room. If you've ever heard that term, that's where this comes from. It's literally an upper room in this dude's house. And then he says, prepare the meal in that room. So what this does, first and foremost, it just shows the sovereignty of King Jesus. That he says, hey, when you go into town, there's going to be a dude carrying some water. Follow him into the house. Ask these questions. They're going to give you the answer. That's where you prepare the meal. How amazing is it that we serve a God who is that sovereign? He has his hands in everything. And some of you may be sitting there like, well, there's been some bad stuff happening. So where's his hands in that bad stuff? And I want to encourage you this morning to know that although it may seem horrible, right? And these afflictions may be really hard and they're, they're real. 
and you don't know how to walk through these situations, you don't really know what to do in these circumstances, that God is still God and He's still good. And He loves you, and that He's working things out that you can't even see. And that He uses situations and circumstances to draw people unto Himself. And even if we never get the comfort that we want on this earth, the Apostle Paul teaches us, man, that nothing that we deal with here will compare to what we get to experience in the kingdom of God. That, man, the afflictions that we experience here are light and they're temporary. They don't last forever. What lasts forever is the decision that we make to follow after Jesus and be a part of His family. Or the decision that we never follow after Jesus. And we don't get to be a part of His family. That too lasts forever. Man, and I, I just want you to, to know that God is sovereign and that He loves you. And if He didn't love you, I want you to just continue with us throughout this series. Join us for Easter, and I promise you that Scripture will show you how much He loves you. And not just Scripture, man. It's every day of my life. I can just see the hands of God working. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt, God is still God. He's still good. And He still loves you. Man, I just want to encourage you with that this morning. I want us to see how this Passover meal points to Jesus. Right? Three things. Number one is this. It points to Jesus as substitutionary lamb. So it really points to Him as the substitute lamb. We talk, we talk about Man, you sacrifice a lamb, and man, that gets confusing. So I want to go back to Exodus, and I want us to see what this really means. In Exodus chapter 12, and I'm just going to read these verses to you really quickly. It says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So here's, here's what's happening. Moses is leading his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And the Pharaoh's like, yeah, man, you can leave. And then they start, and he's like, no, don't leave. You can leave. No, you can't leave. And he's just fickle, right? And this is, this is one of the plagues. God sends plagues to, to hurt Egypt. And this is one of those where the, the firstborn male of every single person is going to be killed. And God says, but for you, for my people, what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to sacrifice a lamb and you're going to put the, the blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death is going to pass over every house that has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. That's why it's called the Passover meal. So what we see here are the, the directions, the instructions of how to actually go about this meal. And this is important for us because we see that this does point back to Jesus. I want us to see something here. How does it point to Jesus as a substitutionary lamb? Number one is this personal. This is a personal thing. We see in the passage we just read, in verse 3 it says, a lamb. In verse 4 it says, the lamb. 
And then in verse 5, it says, your lamb. So this is, this is what it is. It's, you pick a lamb. That's cool. You've picked one. Once you pick one, it then becomes the lamb because it's the one that you picked. But then it becomes personal for you because what we're going to see is that you get it on the 10th day, you keep it until the 14th day, so this, this little lamb is living with you for four days. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a stray animal come to your house. I have one right now at my house that won't leave. It's this little dog. She is very cute, but she's not staying at my house. She's been there for two days. This is day three. I've already named her, but she's not staying. But here's the deal, right? The more that she stays, the more personal it gets. So that's what, that's what God was doing here. It's like, hey, pick a lamb. That's the lamb that you picked, and then it becomes your lamb. So not, you're not just sacrificing a lamb, you're sacrificing your lamb. It became personal. And I want you to know that Jesus isn't a Savior, He's the Savior. And that it's your decision to make Him your Savior. Man, this all points back to Jesus. Man, you can sit there and say, well, He's just a Savior and He's not. He is the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Man, and it's your decision and it's my decision to say, you know what, He's not just the Savior. He is my Savior. Man, I praise God that we have the opportunity to say that He's my Savior. Man, make it personal. That's what this is about. It's not just personal, but number two is this, it's perfect. In verse 5, we see it says a lamb without blemish, holy, perfect. And this points back to Jesus. In 1 Peter 2.22, it says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 says it this way, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's Jesus, the Savior of the world, perfect. In every way. Without blemish. Without spot. Without sin. He became sin on our behalf. So that we could be counted righteous. Man, and I know sometimes that's just a cliche saying in church. But I want you to understand what this means. This means that we have a debt to pay. We are sinners. Right? We're all sinners. In Romans, we see that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He's a perfect, holy God. He can't allow sin into heaven. Sin has to be paid for or He wouldn't be a just God. So we have two options. We can self-atone for that sin, which means that we try to work it off and we just try to pay for that ourselves, and that never works because we can never pay enough. So then we face the punishment of that, and the punishment of that is... Eternity separated from God. Or we could take the substitutionary atonement of Jesus who says, hey, it is finished. And when he said it is finished on the cross, he really meant paid in full. That's what the Greek means. Hey, it's paid in full. Your debt has been paid. The sin in your life has been covered. So it's up to you which way you want to pay for the sin. You can pay for it yourself and you'll never pay enough or you can take the payment that Jesus paid. And then we become righteous because of His righteousness. Man, and that's the substitutionary aspect of this. And then, let's just keep reading in Exodus 
says, And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. It's a little nasty. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So not only does it point to Jesus as the substitutionary lamb, and it's personal, it's perfect, but it's also purposeful. There's a purpose for this. And the purpose is that the angel of death is going to pass over. These people are going to be spared. They're going to be saved because of the blood of this lamb. And how does this point to Jesus is that we too are spared. We too are saved because of the blood of the lamb. We are saved because of the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We have been justified by the blood of Jesus. The Lamb without blemish. The perfect, sinless Lamb who took our sin upon Himself. And it all points to Jesus. And this was, this was way before Jesus ever entered the scene. And this is Exodus. Think about this now. Genesis, Exodus, and then a bunch of other books. And then the New Testament starts and Jesus enters. Man, and everything that's happening in the history of the world is pointing to Jesus as our substitutionary lamb. Number two is this. It points to Jesus as a serving master. John's account of this Last Supper says it this way. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, He rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. I want, to, I want you to get this picture. Here's the Savior of the world. A sovereign God who just said, hey, follow this dude. He's going to have some water. Follow him, right? He just set all that up. He knew what was happening. He is about to give his life for the world. And he's eating with his closest friends. And he says, hey, this is what I want to do for you. I want to show you how much I love you and I want to serve you. I want to wash your feet to show you how, how valuable you are in the kingdom of God. Man, how amazing is it that we serve a God who, who not only took our place, but He says, hey, I love you enough to serve you. And we go around living life in a way that, that says, man, I'm most important. That my comfort is most important. That what I want is most important. And here we have the Savior of the world saying, man, I want to serve you. How many of us have gotten to a place in our life where we can just, just serve other people without even thinking about the comfort of our own lives? Man, and I'm not saying that I've perfected this. I think about comfort all the time. I love naps. I love food. 
I love comfort. I love when my kids are quiet. Like, all that's amazing to me. And I, and I promise you that there's times where I know that I can serve other people and I know that it's going to put me in a, in a place that I really don't want to be in comfort-wise. And it's so easy for me to say, nope, they're not as important as me. And I'm not saying that every time someone needs help, you should help. I'm saying that if we're becoming more like Jesus, we can, we can really pick up on those times where he's telling us to serve. And man, we have to be obedient to that call. Because he was. He was about to lose his life. He was about to suffer pain that none of us have ever suffered in our life. And he chose not to be served, but to serve the disciples, to wash their feet. I don't know if you've ever washed someone's feet. It's not good. Man, and these guys wore sandals and there were dirt roads everywhere. Man, I just can't even imagine. I've seen pastors do an illustration on stage where they're washing people's feet. I was like, yeah, we're never doing that illustration here. Y'all get it, right? Y'all understand the picture. I don't have to do that. I'm not a feet person. I can barely reach my feet to wash my own feet. I'm definitely not washing somebody else's feet. Man, Jesus is a serving master. If we continue on in Mark, it says, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So here they're eating, they're reclining. So how this would look back then, it's not the picture that everybody sees of this Last Supper. That's not how it was. These guys, literally, there's a table. They're, they're laying on the floor, like on, propped up on an arm, eating with the other arm. That's just how it was back then. So they're all in close proximity to one another. And Jesus knows that Judas is about to betray him. And how does this point to him as a serving master? This is how it points to him. Although he knows that it's about to happen, he knows that Judas has made this deal with the soldiers. Jesus is still giving him an opportunity to change his mind. He still allows him at the dinner. He still talks about it. He says, hey, the Son of Man is going to go and be killed no matter what. You don't have to give me up for this to happen. But as it is, and as we know, Judas does go along with the betrayal. But Jesus eats this meal with him. Close enough to him. Man, that he could, he could smell his breath. He's so close to him. Man, this is an intimate moment. Where this, this guy who has been with Jesus for years is about to betray him and give him up. And I'm wondering how many times you have betrayed Jesus. And He loves you and He's with you and He's close to you. But man, when something else comes that we think is better, do we, do we give up Jesus? When something else comes that's too hard and we just want to deal with it on our own, do we give up on Jesus? Have we been living a life that says we're following Jesus verbally, 
but our actions show that, man, we're just betraying Him each and every day. And He wants to be your serving Master. He wants to serve you. And the way that He serves you is He loves you and He gives you salvation and He allows you to count, man, to be counted as righteousness unto God. And what a serving Master that is. Number three is this. Jesus it points to Jesus as the saving king. If we continue reading it, Mark, it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in the new kingdom of God. So I want you to understand how, how the, this is what we usually hear with communion, right? We hear he, he, he has the bread, he breaks it, he says, take it, this is my body, this is the stuff that we, that we hear, but man, this is what it means. I want you to, to think about what it means to take something and eat it, right? Because we can, you can be served food all day long, but you still have to pick it up and eat it. Right, we can read, so we can pretend this is a menu, and I can read you the menu all day long. I can deliver you the food all day long, but you have to take it and eat it. You have to receive what God has done for you. And that's why it's so important to understand that, man, yes, Jesus, He did die for me. Yes, He did defeat death. Man, He rose from the grave. He's offering me salvation. It's laid out in front of you. And He says, take and eat. Man, and some of you, you've been, you've been looking at the salvation in front of you for so long and you've never received it into your life. Man, for some of you, you've been, you've been talking about this and you've been maybe teaching this and you've been going to small group and talking to your friends and, you, and you've been thinking that everything is okay, but here's what I know that a lot of people who, who call out Lord, Lord, He says, hey, depart from me, for I never knew you. The way that you can know Him is to receive what He's done for your life, to take and to eat. Man, this, this is a symbolic act. Communion is an ordinance, and, and man, it's special, but I want you to understand the impact of this and what it really means. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he doesn't just give them the bread and just walk away. He gives them the bread and he says, take. Take this. Eat this. This is, this is my body that was given for you. And he says the same with the wine. He gives them the cup. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, it says this, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So, so here's, here's what Paul's saying. In this letter, he says, hey, so there's one bread, the bread of life, Jesus. And because we've, we've taken of that bread, we've received that bread, we are now one body of Christ. And that's why here we talk about the church, the capital C church, the, the bride of Christ. It's not just about our local body here. Man, we're, we're, we're excited about what God's doing here, but it's so much bigger than this. When we partake of the bread of life, and we receive that, man, we are part of the family of God. All over the world, 
different languages, different nations, different ethnicities, different races, different ages, different genders. For God so loved the world. Man, and that's what this is all about. It's about His love for His people. He created you to be an image bearer of Him. And there's always something inside of us that's longing for something more until it's filled with Him. Because that's how we were created. We were created to be an image bearer of God and until He is in our life, we're missing it. There's something that's always missing and we search for that in these worldly things. And this morning, maybe this is the morning for you for the first time to actually take and receive not this communion, but salvation that's found in Jesus. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I'm not a righteous person. And I'm a jacked up, wrecked person. That's the truth. And I'm a human. And there's nothing about me being up here on Sundays that makes me any more special than you. In fact, none of us are special people apart from Jesus. Man, in those times where you don't feel special, where you feel useless, it's because you're not allowing God to fill those spots. I don't know if you've ever gone through a season of life where you just felt like everything was lost and nothing mattered and you just you didn't know how you were going to take the next step. Man, and when you face those moments, that's when God comes through. In our weakest moments, man, His strength is magnified in our lives. And some of you are going through those moments right now. Some of you are just hurt. Some of you are just tired. Some of you are just angry. Some of you are forgiveness. There's, there's whatever going on in your life. And God is saying, hey, I love you enough that I gave you my son. I sent him on a rescue mission for you. And in the last meal that, that I had before I went to the cross... I wanted people to understand what it meant for me to be who I am. This is Jesus who could have had anything He wanted. I said, no, I want people to understand how much I love them. And I want each one of you to understand how much God loves you. And there's no greater feeling in the world than having a Creator God, a saving King, who loves you and who's working all things out for your good. Man, not for what you think is good, but for your good. He's a sovereign God. And I can't imagine going through this life without Him. I can't imagine trying to to do things without Him. I can't imagine trying to, to be a husband without Him. I can't imagine trying to be a father without Him. 
And where are you this morning? I want to I close right here with this. The disciples, they didn't know what was about to happen. They, they had no clue. He had been telling them for three years what was going to happen, and they still didn't understand. They didn't know that he was about to be arrested. He was going to be put on trial. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified. They had no clue that this was about to happen. But he knew. And he still chose to go. If you knew that you were about to be in a situation where you were going to be arrested, falsely accused, put on trial, found guilty, beaten, and then put to death as a criminal, would you still go? See, Jesus knew that this was about to happen and chose to go anyway. And you can sit there and you can think about this and you can say, man, he was crazy. Who would do that? Why would someone do that? And the answer to that question is you. He did it for you. He did it because he loved you enough to go. If you were the only person on this earth, he still would have gone. He would have said yes to you. And this morning he is saying yes to you still. And some of you have never said yes to him. And this morning, man, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage someone in this room to take that next step and to receive what He's done in your life. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.